the Bama Sports Radio family. This is your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew Armand of ESPN 97.7, The Zone in Huntsville, and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, our producer in Mobile. And we have a really big shoe, as Ed Sullivan used to say, for you tonight. Uh, at the bottom of this hour, we're going to hear from Kirk McNair, editor and publisher of BamaMag.com and Scout.com subsidiary for the University of Alabama. And at the bottom of the second hour, we're going to hear from Ryan Fowler, host of The Game in Tuscaloosa, that city's longest-running sports talk show, which has moved to a new time now. He'll be able to tell us about that and some other exciting changes that that station has made recently. But before we dive into the depth chart and strategy and take calls and all that, I'm going to swing it over to your friend and mine, Thomas Watts, to help us pay a little bit of freight. Got to sell some stuff, guys, but uh, I'm here to sell you on the SeatGeek app. SeatGeek is an app for your iOS or Android device. It's called a ticket aggregator. What's a ticket aggregator, you say? It pulls together every ticket hub, you know, your stub hubs, your other hubs, and puts them together under one roof and lets you pick and choose your best deals. It also has this technology called Deal Score, and what that does is, it averages like tickets around uh, uh, ticket prices around wherever the ticket is you're looking at, and it gives you a little green box if it's a good deal and a red box if it's a bad deal. So certainly a very unique idea, certainly a unique app. No other ticketing app actually has this. There's really no better way to find your Alabama football tickets this season. Heck, if you're if you're real clever, you might be able to find some for the Wisconsin game coming up in you know what 48 hours, <laughs> but. Make sure to try SeatGeek. Go to SeatGeek.com. You can use their website or the iOS or Android app. Great stuff. Highly recommended. Gary, I'm going to pass it back to you, and you can get into the show for us. You probably just scared a lot of people, but it's actually 72 hours. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> there's probably people That's all the way to Dallas now going, what the? <laughs> anyway, Thomas can't count. He's, doing, he's busy doing other things. <laughs> he's the wizard. His calculator battery was out. Okay, but, uh, hey, yeah, everybody needs to patronize uh, SeatGeek because they are a big part of the Bama Sports Radio family, as well as another sponsor that we'll hear from uh, closer to the bottom of this hour. But I want to go ahead without further ado and bring in my cohort, Drew DeArmond of ESPN 977, The Zone in Huntsville. And, Drew, just in the very short time since we did the last show and made our quarterback guesses and all that, Things seem to have changed a little bit, and the field behind center has narrowed in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, it's basically down to two. Um, it's going to be Jake Coger to start, Cooper Bateman backing him up, though, you know, from a source very, very close to a staff member. Do not discount Cooper Bateman uh, in this deal. Uh, he, he could end up getting the nod as well. Uh, it's truly a mystery, though. I would say – 65% of me believes Jake Coker comes out for the first series, but both of them will play. It's going to be a very interesting offense to watch and how they utilize, you know, Kenyon Drake. Uh, I think it's going to be a run-centric attack, but very, very anxious to see which one of these two quarterbacks steps up. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been thinking about Kent State back in 2011. Of course, that was A.J. McCarron and Phillip Sims, and both those young men are now in the NFL, but We'll see uh, who takes the bull by the horns, as Coach Saban likes to say. I, I don't think it's happened yet. 
And uh, just really interested to see how far Cooper Bateman has come as far as a passer. We saw him play well in the August 22nd scrimmage, but the, the bright lights and the ESPN slash ABC cameras are a different deal. And, and uh, you know, you'll have 80,000 people in the Jerry Dome watching 100,000, really, I guess. Uh, millions on television. Let's see who performs well. And I'm very intrigued, though, with the athleticism of Cooper Bateman. You know, he runs a four five four six forty. Coach Saban has talked about how much he has improved as a passer. If that translates to the games with the offense, I feel like they're going to put on the field, uh, Kerry. I would not be surprised if Cooper Bateman won this job. And considering how we saw him perform on August the 9th, that's a stunning development, but it's football. Yeah, and I still say there won't be a final decision made until Ole Miss week. But l- let me throw this scenario out to you, Drew. Uh, it hasn't happened with Nick Saban yet uh, at Alabama. It did at LSU. And it hasn't happened at Alabama really since around uh, 2001, 2002 time frame. But Coach Saban dropped some hints in his first press conference of the week. I've not had time to review tonight's. But in his first press conference of the week, he dropped some hints that there could even be a a two-quarterback plan because the skill set of Bateman is different than the skill set of Coker. And I don't want to put words in your mouth or Saban's mouth or Lane Kiffin's mouth or Thomas's mouth or anybody else's mouth, but I could foresee a scenario where uh, Jake Coker runs the standard offense, what I'd call the base offense, almost like a Gene Stallings-type offense where it's mostly running, but there's an occasional play-action pass. And then Cooper Bateman comes in and runs not just a hurry-up, but even a, a variation of the hurry-up with, with the lead option plays because he's such a good runner. And Cooper, uh, as his quarterback coach said, he told him a couple of weeks ago, ran the best two-minute drill of his life at that scrimmage you and I watched a few weeks ago. So I'm almost thinking that defenses might have to plan for two versions of the Bama offense possible i do think it's going to be up tempo regardless to simplify things for the quarterbacks i do think the zone read will be a part of the game plan and if so it would make a lot of sense with cooper bateman and the one thing that wisconsin has not seen is any film of cooper bateman (laughs) except unless they want to go back to high school or an eight-day game but i mean he has not he has not played extensively at alabama except to hold for extra points and field goals so it's going to be very, very interesting to watch. I do think someone asked me this today, and, I, and I, this is not any inside knowledge. This is just a hunch on my part. I also would not be surprised to see King and Drake and the Wildcat run into some variation of the zone read as well with Derrick Henry to get them on the field at the same time. Also a split back uh, look, and, of course, Kenyon in the slot. But I do think they're going to move him around and just anxious to see what kind of passing game. I think they're going to have some quick game and some of the screen game. But if Jake Coker is in the game, Kerry, I think uh, it, uh, you can uh, you can almost guarantee that they're going to let him sling the ball down the field. Uh, he has shown a, a propensity to throw a pretty nice deep ball so they can stretch out the defense because you know what Wisconsin's going to do. I mean, they've watched film. They're, they've been preparing for more than one quarterback, but their core uh, belief is going to be to load up the box and make the quarterback beat you, much like Florida uh, unsuccessfully uh, tried to do uh, last September. Yeah, and, you know, if, if Jake can do that and have any kind of success on passes of 15 yards or more, 
that is going to get people out of the box, and that is going to open it up for Henry Drake, and let's not forget Damien Harris, who we know now is going to play a, a decent role in this game. Three running backs will get carries for Alabama. That we know of. It may even be more than that by the fourth quarter, depending on the score. But three running backs are in the game plan. Uh, two quarterbacks are in the game plan. Uh, I, I guess my question would be, since a lot of people had him anointed as a starter, what happened to Alec Morris? What I was told with Alec Morris is is that Lane Kiffin basically sat him down and said, I will hire you on my staff before you will be quarterback here. And that is just telling the young man that he has a future as a coach. I think everyone has known, and I've reported on this show and other in my show on 97.7 The Zone Talking Ball, that I felt like Alec Morris stayed at Alabama because he knew he was going into coaching and who better to work with than Nick Saban and, of course, now Lane Kiffin. But all that said, he's still, you know, in the mix. If, you know, he, I think he, what he is is your solid fallback option. If Jake Coker hits the bull a couple of times, turns the ball over, breaks the wind out of the glass, then you'll see Cooper Bateman, of course, get an extensive opportunity. And if he goes back, to uh, his uh, early days at Alabama where he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat, then I think you would see uh, Alec Morris, because he's steady in the two scrimmages, he didn't turn the ball over and he knows the offense, he will be your so-called security blanket. But as of right now, he's the third guy. He's going to be a tutor and an extra set of eyes for whoever is in the game, for uh, Jake Coker and Cooper Bateman. But as of right now, I think that's the reason that Alec Morris is third. Uh, we did see him get extensive first reps, first team reps at the last scrimmage on August the 22nd. But there were a lot of eyes watching that day. And I think maybe Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin played a little bit of a trick on some folks. And that is a very good analysis. Something else that I want to throw in before we uh, hear from Big C in four or five minutes Uh you and I, and I'm proud of us, and Thomas, all three of us, I'm proud of us because we did actually keep our mouth shut about one thing we saw at the scrimmage, but now it's today from Saban. And that, Drew, is that Cyrus Jones, one of the SEC's best cornerbacks, is getting some reps at receiver. Yes, he is, Kerry. And uh, we did see him get a couple of reps in the slot. Uh, you know, the second one. Uh, the first one, I was thought, I thought I saw a mirage, and then the second one, I was like, no, nah, I really did see that earlier. They threw him a couple of balls. He's going to be used there uh, in certain situations, I think, to kind of take some of the pressure off Kenyon Drake, and quite frankly, because I think Robert Foster goes off the reservation some still. Uh, but, you know, I think they, they're confident in uh, our Darius Stewart. And then the one that I think every day, uh, gains more and more confidence, it, you know, as far as with his teammates and with the coaches, is Richard Mullaney uh, from Morgan State. And now, of course, uh, what another thing, Chris Black has been banged up, and so they needed someone that was experienced. And remember, Cyrus played wide receiver as a freshman. And, and Coach Saban is, no, is not a greenhorn. He did this with Michael Clayton at LSU uh, during his career when he thought Clayton was one of his better athletes. I've had people today tell me, via text that Cyrus Jones is an average uh, cornerback. Why in blue blazes are they playing him at receiver? Our receivers must be crap. And that's not true. Uh, you know, I think the receivers are still going to be a strength. But 
Cyrus Jones is a good football player. You know, he, he I think people uh, kind of come down on him because he's five foot nine. And see, what a lot of people aren't taking into account is he played really good football last year for the most part, and his hip was messed up. Now he's completely healthy, experienced, helping bring along the Marlon Humphreys and the Tony Browns and, and the Minka Fitzpatricks. And he's just also talented and experienced enough where you can use him situationally, offensively, to maybe match up and make some plays. So I just think it's uh, outside-of-the-box thinking by Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin, and I like it. And another thing, talking about the wide receiver court, Drew, who among us, and I'm not raising my hand, but who among us thought Cam Sims would be medically cleared to play, even though we don't know if he's going to play, he's going to be on the bus, in the plane, and in uniform, who among us thought he'd be medically cleared to play at all this year, much less versus Wisconsin? Quite frankly, and I talked to Travis Ryer about this earlier in the week, and he agreed with me with what everyone has heard about his injury, the ACL and the LCL. It was very, very similar to Dante Hightowers, and we all saw that it took Dante a full season before he was himself again. With Cam Sims, you know, going down in spring, and the severity of the injury, it, quite frankly, it's the most stunning development of fall camp, and that's even quarterbacks included. Because even when he came back out in a brace, I thought it was, and he was running routes. You still thought when Coach Saban said he had a long way to go that he would still redshirt. He might not be ready by until the middle of the season, and why risk playing him and, and waste a year? But now Coach Saban is saying he's going to travel. I don't think he'll play in this game, but he, quite frankly, he might be ready by the middle of the season. You were thinking Richard Mullaney was brought in to replace him, and I think he was. But all credit to Cam Sims and the miracle of modern medicine. Uh, the sophomore may be back from Monroe, Louisiana this year. And if he is and, and can be, you know, anywhere close to what he was, what he was before the injury, uh, that's going to be a boon for the Tide. And, and it's probably to his advantage, just thinking out loud, Drew, because none of us thought that, that Eddie Jackson would, would play the first game last year, and he did, but Eddie never was the same guy. That being said, Cam is not playing defense where he can get beat deep and all that because he's not back. He's playing a position where he could probably still help the team as a stock blocker, as a possession receiver, until he gets 100% recovered. Uh, I, I have to think that by the Ole Miss game, at least, he's in the rotation. I agree. Um, at least it's looking that way. If not by if not by Ole Miss, then definitely by Georgia. Uh, it's going to be someone else that people have to game plan for. Going to still be interesting to see, you know, how effective he is. But he does have really good size. He showed flashes last year of being tough. You remember the big catch against Arkansas uh, to get the first down from Blake Sims to keep a drive alive. Thought he did a nice job blocking. And again, Robert Foster. That's been one of his issues, not doing the little things right, not running routes hard when the ball's not coming to you, not blocking, uh, you know, kind of being soft. So you, 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 uh, you're glad to see Cameron Sims come back, and hopefully he'll inspire his teammates because, quite frankly, the work he's put in to come back this quickly is amazing. And another guy that I think we're all going to be watching at least via television, and some will be there in person. I think Thomas is going. But another guy that we're all going to be watching, Drew, because for the third year in a row he's getting all kind of hype. Will this be the year that O.J. Howard backs it up? I would hope so. The two scrimmages, quite frankly, were putrid, just being honest. That's what I am on this show. He needs to step his crap up. 
needs to get tougher, catch the freaking football, make plays. Coach Saban called him a special player, um, you know, after the, the scrimmage on August 22nd. Quite frankly, I came back inside the zone in the air conditioning because of another drop, and I was sick and tired of watching it. So hopefully he'll get all that out of his system, become the playmaker he should be. He should be, but right now, quite frankly, he's uh, looks like Tarzan and has played like Jane and has not lived up to the hype. It's time. Okay, that... <laughs> well, all I'm saying is it's time to you know step up or step out. And let you well, know, and and that's I think like that's one reason why Hell Hinges is getting on the field now. As you like to say, crap or get off the John. Yeah, now I didn't want to didn't want to use those terms, but basically, well, yes, I, I gave it the PG version. Uh, <laughs> another thing, and, and you know, one of the things, Drew, this has nothing to do with the game, but one of the things that our listeners enjoy most is when I trigger you into a rant, and I can just put myself on mute and let you go for five minutes. So here you go, Drew. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fire the cannon right now. Uh coachingsearch dot com claiming this is the last season for Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa, even though they, they can't figure out how they sourced it. Uh I, I wanna let you go to town on that one. <laughs> yeah, an old miss guy putting this story out. G G G's wonder why that's happened. Wouldn't be just because Greg Little might be going to Alabama over Ole Miss because he doesn't wanna get paid four thousand dollars a month. But but anyway, uh, you know, Greg Little, you know, Allen, Texas, they're in the middle of it with him. Jeffrey Simmons, top pass rusher maybe in the United States right now. Alabama, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Uh, season opener, three, four days away. Uh, first of all, when Nick Saban came to Alabama, I was told two years. Then I was told three years. Then I was told five years. It's year nine, maggots. Nine. His mother is now in Birmingham. His daughter is now married, living nearby. His son is now married, living nearby with a grandchild. He's building a new house. The uh, the Crimson Tide Foundation stepped up, kept him from going to Austin, Texas. He just told Paul Feinbaum that his his mother got a hole-in-one when she was 80, and he feels like he's got 16 good years of golf left, that he can play golf, he can coach. Now, Moron said... He felt like Nick Saban would, was not, had not made his last coaching stop. Well, I got a question for footballscoop.com. Where's Nick Saban going to go in college football? Because he's sure as hell not going back to the NFL. Okay? His wife hates it. As Nick Saban has said on more than one occasion, she is the real boss. So get a clue, my friends. Quit, quit uh, re- retreading and replaying old info from Timmy Brando, who's been wrong a lot more than he's been right. Remember, 2011 LSU was the greatest college football team of all time, according to Timmy B, who dressed in purple in the Superdome to watch what he thought was going to be a coronation. Well, it was a coronation, all right, for the greatest college football defense of all time because the greatest SEC team of all time never field. It was 21 to nothing. It was an ass whipping. It was the reason they've got a college football playoff now because everybody knew that was the two best teams but they couldn't handle the fact that Alabama got another chance and destroyed LSU who has never been the same since. 
and now Les Miles is about to be on the hot seat. How many coaches has Nick Saban already run out of Auburn? Three. How many will he probably run out still before he gets done? Probably five. But all I know is he's going to stay in Tuscaloosa. He's not going to retire and go to television, which is what Brando reported, and then this clown reports that he's probably going to take another job. Where is he going to go? Tell me. He did not go to Texas. They have more money than God, according to everyone. What he's going to do is build a legacy at Alabama that will be as deep and as long as Bear Bryant's before he's done. The two greatest coaches in college football history will go down as Nick Saban and Bear Bryant. And to me, that's what you can book. And I think my uh, opinion is about as strong as that guy's. He had no refutable facts. I don't either, but I have common sense, which I think collegefootballscoop.com does not rant over. It, it reminds me of a story that, that occurred about 20 years ago in, in a much smaller setting in, in Fayette, Alabama, when uh, legendary Alabama high school coach Walden Tucker uh, whose son Lance quarterback at Alabama and is now coaching Fayette County. But at this point, Walden Tucker had been at Fayette County about five or six years. And, um, he told his wife, Sue, that he had accepted the Demopolis job uh, without consulting her. And she said to him, Walden, congratulations, uh, good luck. The kids and I are sure going to miss you. <laughs> Needless to say, he uh, withdrew his name from the – coaching search at Demopolis and stayed at Fayette and ended up winning the state's championship. But uh, anyhow, yeah, Miss Terry ain't going nowhere. The next place they go uh, is Lake Burton, and uh, I think we all know that, but I wanted the listeners to have that kick out of, of uh, letting you give your thoughts on that, which you did quite eloquently, and we appreciate it. Now, Drew, uh, since Big C forgot to call or fell asleep or whatever. I've already pushed him back to 9.15 next hour, so he uh, 9.15 Central. So he's been uh, given the uh, the boot to next hour. The half boot. I'll, yeah, he, he had to get the half boot. I'm uh, saving the hopnail boot for later. Yeah, well, we'll see if he qualifies for that. Don't <laughs> tick him off too much because uh, I'm supposed to be live in studio with him for a whole hour in Greenville on my way to the beach Friday, so don't tick him off too bad. But, okay. Drew, uh, getting back to the um, – Bama football uh, personnel situation. Uh, we got a depth chart this week, and everybody's been waiting on it so so long. I guess they thought, I don't know why, but I guess they thought they were going to look at it and figure out who the quarterback was. Uh, some of them that tweeted about it and wrote columns about it had some reading uh, comprehension issues. Uh, they uh, imagined a slash after Alec Morris's name where there was none. Uh, the first team was uh, Jacob Coker slash Cooper Bateman slash Alec Morris, and then the second team was Blake Barnett slash David Corbett, and that's pretty much the order they're in right now. So we've, we've beaten the quarterback situation to death, but those last two guys are not considered co-first teamers like it was written up on Twitter and, and some columns. Running back, Derek Henry, Kenyon Drake, and Damian Harris, the only three named. Uh, and, and poor Damian Harris, Drew, I, I don't even know what he's going to think when he gets out there on the field Saturday night and actually gets to run through a hole for the first time since high school. Yeah, um, you know, it's going to be interesting because the O-line, uh, he's been playing uh, behind some of the backups. And then going against the ones a lot, you're not going to find a whole heck of a lot of room, um, you know, with the ones in that situation. But, again, I think he's a really good player. I think he's shown a lot of toughness. You know, he overcame a fumble uh, August the 22nd early that ended up in a Minka Fitzpatrick touchdown to 
they showed a lot of faith in him to give him the ball, I think, 11, 12, 13 more times, and he handled it well. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Mark Ingram with his maturity level, I think, and uh, it's going to be very interesting. Everyone remembers how Ingram looked in his first ball game in Atlanta against Clemson, and uh, it was the end of Tommy Bowden. But uh, kind of hoping for the same kind of debut. But uh, very similar uh, to that game, though, uh, there was a ton of freshmen that night and newcomers along with Terrence Cody that were, were ball players. And you got on this depth chart, carry 15 true freshmen. And I think uh, it, it really shows how deep and talented this recruiting class is. And I'm just really, really anxious to see. I, I mentioned him already, but I'm anxious to see how much hell he just plays. Uh, you know, a lot of people I, – I was talking to someone before the depth chart was released this weekend that guaranteed me almost he'd redshirt. And I said, well, based upon what I saw at the scrimmage, and he was with the ones a lot, and watching Ty Flournoy-Smith also drop two balls, you know, he just had one drop but several catches that he would play. And I think he's been a quick study. He's living up to the hype of his recruitment. And I think he can be a playmaker for Alabama. He's someone that should be open. They're not going to be game planning him for him yet. So uh, I'm just anxious to see him and really anxious to see Richard Mullaney, our Darius Stewart taking the next step. And Calvin Ridley was listed as a co-first teamer, Kerry. I don't think we believe he's going to start the game, but it's obviously he's going to get a lot of reps. Oh, he'll definitely be in the rotation. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how they do the tight end H-back situation because they list the starting tight end as Dakota Ball uh, and Hale Hinkus backing him up. But we all know that Hale knows both positions. They list yeah. the starting H-back tight end as O.J. Howard and, and – or Ty Fulner-Smith with the backup being Mike Nicewander. But Mike's going to play more when they use a true fullback than any other time, uh, which is not that much really this year. Well, it's not. But the thing that – what I think it hints to me when they lose Dakota Ball as first team and O.J. Howard, they're, they're going to do a lot of ace formations that they did in 2008 and 2009, which is two tight ends, basically. Uh, except they'll probably flex O.J. Howard out quite a bit. And then, but then I think they'll also have him down in a three-point stance. I think they're going to, they're going to use a lot of two tight end sets uh, but we'll see. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Yep. And to me, uh, you know, we don't know 100%. I think we have a gut feeling. But we don't know 100% who the right guard is. It's listed as Alphonse Taylor or Bradley Bozeman. Uh, right. They've battled back and forth all camp. It would seem that Shank has taken a little bit of a lead. Agreed. And it would seem, from an outside perspective, that's only been to two practices, me, that Bradley is the swing guard, meaning he's the backup not only to Alphonse, but also to Ross Piercebacher. And quite frankly, even though he doesn't run with the twos before the game at, at, at center, if something ever happened to Ryan Kelly, I, I promise you that it would be Bradley Bozeman snapping the ball and, and not J.C. Hasenauer if the game was still in that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, and then we've got a question from the chat room uh, from my man, Play Like a Champion. And he, he, wants to, he wants to know, do you see Bama opening the game giving Coker whomever starts several easy throws to get him going and build his confidence. Uh, perhaps, even though I still think you're going to see him, you know, probe uh, the run. Because, uh, uh, yeah, again, with the way the team was was uh, designed last year, the offense, they were coming out trying to get the ball to Amari Cooper. He was the best player. To me, you're going to get the ball to the best player. The best player right now, some would say it's Kenyon Drake, probably so. But the heartbeat of the offense is going to be the line and Derrick Henry. I think they're going to give Henry uh, some touches to see if they can get him going. And then if they can stay ahead of the chains early, yeah, they're going to give Jake Coker uh, or Cooper Bateman 
a chance to throw the ball around a little bit with some high percentage throws and maybe likely to Kenyon Drake in the slot. We will see. But uh, I will say this, too. Uh, it's happened before against Virginia Tech, uh, you know, back in 2012. And, uh, but it, what's really going to – or I guess, pardon me, 2013. But uh, it's going to be really interesting uh, to see if they kick to Kenyon Drake to start the game because he could take one to the house. I would agree with that, and I think there'll there'll be some uh, swing passes to Kenyon Drake if the quarterbacks have mastered those uh, by now. Hopefully they have. Uh, but before we continue on, uh, one more little bit of uh, Bill playing, and next you're going to hear, even though he's not live with us, you'll hear the voice of a good friend of this show, um, Murph Baldwin, with another important message from our sponsor. Last football season, DraftKings.com crowned more millionaires than any other one-week fantasy sports site anywhere. And this season, the prizes are even bigger. You can start the season by winning $2 million in week one. Kicker for this is, there's no season-long commitment that comes with traditional fantasy leagues either. It's simply the biggest fantasy football contest ever. $10 million in prizes are up for grabs with $2 million going to the first place winner and $1 million to the runner-up. Now this is how it should be. You can play when you want, where you want, and with the players you want. Just pick up your players, pile up the points, and get to collecting on some cash. Get on over to DraftKings now and use the promo code BAMA to play for a free shot at the $2 million top prize in the Week 1 Millionaire Maker. That's DraftKings.com, you hear me? DraftKings.com. Thank you, Mark Baldwin. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was Mark Baldwin or, or James Ingram. But anyway, he was killing like a villain and a rat killing. But, uh, yeah, proud sponsor of the Bama Sports Radio family. And uh, just like with SeatGeek, we're glad to have them both helping out not only uh, the Bama Sports Radio, but also Bama's Radio. Thank you all. We appreciate it. So uh, I love uh, the way Murph did that, man. It was like so laid back. But uh, getting back to the uh, the depth chart, Drew, uh, you know, it's pretty obvious that Dom Jackson, is the right tackle, and of course Cam Robinson is the left tackle. But uh, based on what we saw uh, at, at, at the times that, that Dom got hobbled, uh, it would appear to me that the swing tackle, in other words, the backup on both sides, is Brandon Green. Yes, he performed well in the second scrimmage. Uh, the junior from Ellenwood, Georgia, who has played some tight end, and he he played in Dom's place, and I don't really think they missed much at all. He performed very, very well. He, I, but I will say, you need to watch Lester Cotton's development uh, you know, he, he does have a sprained knee, but Corin Curtin being on the depth chart is pathetic. Uh, but anyway, um, but I, I do think Lester's already ahead of him, and I think he's developing very quickly. But I do think he's not ready quite yet. They would go uh, with Brandon Green. But the thing that impresses me already uh, about uh, the depth chart as far as on the, they're all considered uh, – well, because well, Richie, since there's co-first teamers, is really a second teamer as well, and in a way – but uh, as far as on the depth chart, this uh, 2015 offensive line class is obviously, you know, sowing their oats already because you've got four guys, Womack, Ricky Pettibone, Brandon Kennedy, and Dallas Womack, and five, really, and Lester Cotton all on the two deep. All right, and, and we'll continue talking about the depth chart, uh, probably move over to defense next hour. But uh, at this time, I'd like to bring on our first guest of the night on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check him out on the web at bigheadsbbq.net. 
a good friend of mine and the uh, publisher of BamaMag.com, a man that's been covering Alabama football since the 60s. Uh, he survived a new, uh, over a half dozen head coaches. He was once uh, the right-hand man to Paul Bryant, much like Jeff Purinton, and now Josh is with Nick Saban. Welcome into BAMS Radio, Kirk McNair. How you doing tonight, guys? Whoops. We're good. We're good. And uh, I was wondering. Uh, well, I, Kirk. I thought, I, I thought for a minute I'd lost you. <laughs> Now we're here. Uh, we were wondering because I've only read some some cut ups and some very brief Twitter summaries. Uh, what all, if anything, did you get out of tonight's Nick Saban press conference, Kurt? Well, not too much. Uh, it was, uh, you know, pretty much the uh, the same thing. I guess if there was a, a nugget, uh, the, probably the 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 main one was that uh, that Cyrus Jones has been getting some work on offense. Now you know that's a he's got, already got plenty of work. He's a cornerback and he's going to be the punt returner, so he's got plenty of work. But he did come to Alabama as a wide receiver, so uh, I, I suspect he could do the job. Uh, I'm not really sure that Alabama really needs much more help at wide receiver. I think that uh, even though those guys don't have much experience, I believe they've got a lot of talent. They do, and, uh, you know, with with, uh, Cyrus doing that, I I remember back when Fernando Bryant did it, uh, it it seemed more like a sort of an aside than a a serious thing. And and I think that the thing with developing Cyrus was when they really weren't so sure about Cam Sims getting cleared medically, which to me, Kirk, is just a shock. Well, it is to me too, and I just had the feeling that, yes, he's been cleared medically, and, yes, he's been working this week. Well, he's been working more than that, but but really working this week. I just had the feeling that uh, Nick Saban doesn't really plan to play Cam Sims this Saturday. I could be wrong. You know, obviously I could be wrong, but uh, I I would be very, very surprised if uh, Sims played this week. Now, I think he's going to play very soon, but uh, he really hadn't had much work. And, Kirk, I wanted to ask you, uh, obviously we've been talking about the depth chart a little bit, uh, are you surprised at all? Because I am a little bit. I know he played some last year, but based on what I've seen of Bozeman and what I saw of him, uh, you know, late in the season, both at center and guard, I thought he would uh, hold off Shank Taylor. But it looks like at this moment that Shank may have won that job at least early. But of course, I, I really think I take that as a positive sign because it must mean Alphonse has, has stepped his game up. But when you see uh, – and what you saw, you've seen – you were obviously at the scrimmage the 22nd and saw the offensive line. I thought they performed very well, and I thought, you know, if Shank Taylor, he, he performed well with the ones, and you saw Brandon Green step in for Dominic Jackson. This offensive line has a chance to be pretty good. Well, I agree. I think it is, and I think that uh, I was uh, watching that Bozeman-Taylor. Uh, uh, they were – Swapping out with the ones, and uh, Taylor got the got the start in that in that scrimmage, and uh, but I think they had about equal reps. I know early in the year, uh, by early I mean uh, maybe ten days ago, Nick Saban was asked about uh, about the guards, Ross Piercebacher and Bradley Bozeman, and Saban very quickly said, "Well, don't leave out Shank." Uh, he said, "Alphonse Taylor has done very very well this year." And uh, so I and, and then he he reiterated that all three are very good. 
I think that, uh, <clears throat> you know, that uh, if you've got three centers, I mean, excuse me, three guards, three tackles, and two centers to start the season, you're in pretty good shape. I mean, when I say have that many, I mean that many that you consider to be first team. And I think Alabama has that right now. I think, uh, And I think the chances of them developing more are very good, but I think it's also, you know, maybe a little bit of a surprise to see that the number two uh, left guard is a true freshman. Uh, I want to say Chance, Chance Warmack, I know his first name's not Chance. Uh, um, Dallas. Dallas, yeah, excuse me, and uh, I, I should know that. I'm getting right ahead there. Uh, and then uh, Lester Cotton at uh, left tackle. Now, I don't believe Lester Cotton is the is the number two left tackle in a game situation this weekend. I think Brandon Green is probably number two at both spots. But to have Lester Cotton and, and Dallas Warmack listed as number twos, I think bodes very well for the future, too. Kirk, with the uh, quarterback situation, uh, I hate to quote Winston Churchill again on this show, but uh, it seems to be the riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, but I think that it's getting a little more clear now than it was a few days ago. Uh, go ahead and give us your take on how it'll shake out when they take the field and as the game progresses. Yeah, you know, I'm. Uh, it'll, it'll be strictly a guess. As you know, I've been a probably – uh, been an Alec Morris guy as long, longer, longer than anybody. I, I just liked him from the very start, and uh, so you know I'm a little bit prejudiced. Maybe I think it, you know, kind of, uh, kind of uh, 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 give me give my a massage my ego a little bit if he got it, but I don't necessarily think he he will. I think if you watch if you watch the quarterbacks. Uh, you see that they are all very, very talented guys, and in, in kind of slightly different ways, maybe, but not not uh, dramatically different. It's not like one's a uh, uh, Blake Sims and one's a uh, Jacob Coker like it was last year. They're they're all similar, and I think that uh, I think that if Coker was going to be the guy, and by the guy I mean the guy who's going to be the quarterback all year. I think he would have gotten that nod uh, quite a long time ago. And the fact that he hasn't kind of makes me think that even though he may start Saturday, uh, you know, being a senior, uh, they might, you know, might just go with that senior hand. Uh, but I've just got got this feeling that, that either at some point in this season, it's going to be up to Cooper Bateman or Alec Morris to win a big game for Alabama. And uh, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I'm kind of leaning towards those two, one of those two to be the guy. But, it, again, it would not surprise me at all if, I, if Jacob Coker started the game Saturday. And, Kirk, I wanted to piggyback on the quarterback situation because I want to talk about Cooper Bateman and, you know, we were at the open practice, obviously on August the ninth, and in my uh, in my opinion, and Kerry would, would agree, you know, Cooper Bateman did not play well that day, but that's one practice. But I think sometimes, and I've caught myself doing this as well, people forget Cooper Bateman's had a couple of things. He he had to adjust because he played in Utah against competition that wasn't near even what they faced, of course, in most 
in high, in high school hotbed states like Alabama, California, Florida. But I think also, and I and I'm as guilty of this as anyone. Sometimes you give up on a kid too soon. It, it takes two to three years, especially with all the talent Nick Saban continues to bring in year in and year out, to adjust to the level of the SEC and to Alabama's program. Do you think, as far as, because I think it's been pretty stunning, the reversal with Cooper Bateman, even in the last month, that he can end up being the starter. And, and quite frankly, I've been hearing all week from someone very close to a staff member that could easily happen. Do you think maybe that people have had given up on Bateman too soon? Well, I think, you know, just just go back a little over a year and you remember the 8A game that Blake Sims had and uh, how terrible it was. And and uh, uh, no, one, no one would have expected that Blake Sims would be the starter, much less be a record-setting starter and take Alabama to the SEC championship and be the MVP of the SEC championship game. I mean, there's... There aren't odds long enough to have uh, bet on that. Uh, so <clears throat> I think that you're right. It's uh, First of all, players in practice are subject to so many variables. Uh, you know, who are they with? Who are they against? What are they asked to do? Um, and on and on and on. So, that yeah, I think you're right. I think that if you're just getting that little snapshot, uh, it's, it's sort of dangerous territory. And then I also think, as long as we're on the subject, you know, that I always throw this in, and I think it's an important consideration. When you see how Lane Kiffin took Blake Sims, developed him, and but not only that, developed an offense to take advantage of what he could do best, I think was very, very telling about what can be done with five guys who, frankly, I think all have more quote, quarterback talent than Blake Sims. Now, I'll, I'll forever be for grateful uh, for Blake Sims and what he did, and I'll, he, I, he'll always have a uh, be up on a pedestal as far as I'm concerned. But I think all of these guys, for what Nick Saban wants in a quarterback, uh, have more of that uh, have more of that skill set. So I think regardless of who wins the job, that he's going to be a very good quarterback and, they, and that the offense is going, it's going to be a good fit for him. I also think that if Alabama didn't have five quarterbacks, suppose they had, uh, had uh, any one of those five plus uh, me and Kerry and Drew. Now that battle would have been settled a long time ago and there wouldn't be any quarterback controversy or quarterback issues. You know, it'd have been it'd have been over a long time ago. And by the way, none of us three would have been the one. <laughs> so I think there are there there's so many variables that we can't possibly uh have a grasp of and we just have to kind of wait till you know, we'll start to get a glimpse of it Saturday and uh probably in succeeding Saturdays. I definitely would have been the one. I would have moved the tight end and given Dakota Ball a, move, a run for his money. But uh, <laughs> at least uh, 45 years ago, I would have. But, Speaking uh, of that, that's a, that's a story for a day, one day, too, Dakota Ball. <laughs> yes, yes. Dakota. Well, go ahead and talk about it because he's lost a lot of weight. Uh, he, he's obviously a good seal blocker on the edge, but it seems to me that he's coming into his own a little bit as a receiver. Oh, very much so. You know, he had three really tough catches in the A-Day game and then in the scrimmage uh, made some nice catches. And uh, it's interesting to me that one of the players said uh, he's the only guy who catches the ball who doesn't wear gloves. 
he's a, he's a kind of an old throwback, you know, barehanded tight end. Uh, uh, got his hand in the dirt and then uh, can get up there and catch the ball too. And I, uh, you know, and I think that's a good thing, not just for Dakota Ball and not just for Alabama. But I think it makes Alabama stronger because it puts O.J. Howard in a place where I think he can be much, much more dangerous uh, as a receiver and much less of a liability, uh, which I think he would be at his size as an on-the-line blocker. And I agree, Kirk. I think Dakota Ball has been one of the pleasant surprises and, and a guy that I think really started coming into his own when he came to the realization he needed to stay at tight end and not go back to defense and that tight end was going to be his way to get on the field. He's one of the most improved players on the team. But in staying with the tight end, so another one that we've already talked about on the show that I know you saw at the scrimmage on the 22nd that I'm very excited about, and he was on the depth chart, and that's Hale Hinges. Yeah, and one of those uh, 12 freshmen that are either first or second team on that depth chart. Uh, and I didn't know for sure what to expect from Dale Hinges, but he's a uh, uh, he's kind of a rugged looking guy, you know, and looks like he's uh, he's um, a little. Uh, oh, we just lost him. I don't know why. <laughs> Well, go ahead and try to get him back, and Drew and I will finish hashing out the tight end situation. A guy who's not on the depth chart, Drew, but apparently has acquitted himself pretty well is Johnny Dwight. Yeah, you know, big Johnny. He's never going to win a race. But, you know, I'll quote Rodney Orr, if it's close to him, he's going to catch it. And he was a good athlete who, you know, you know one of the things Nick Saban looks for with big men, Gary, do they play basketball? And Johnny was a very good uh, high school basketball player in Rochelle, Georgia, was a post player. Let's just say he had a rough red shirt year. He had to have uh, shoulder surgery, I believe. Oh, no, that was O.J. Uh, Smith. My apologies. But uh, he, ha- he still had a rough, you know, freshman year, a rough acclimation to SEC football, was buried on the depth chart at defensive end slash D-tackle, they move him to tight end. He's still about 300 pounds, Gary, but he he he's a good athlete. He can catch the ball, and you got to believe that he'll be a pretty good blocker if he plays with physicality. I think in another year, uh, I think he'll definitely be someone that can play. You always you don't you hate to compare players, and but he could be a Chris Underwood type, except a jumbo Chris Underwood, who was a very good blocker who in his last year, and I think the last game of his career, uh, played a very good game and caught some balls against LSU. But he's someone I think can, can be a effective role player. Nick Saban always seems, and this is why he's a Hall of Fame coach, he finds the best place for players to flourish. You know, Dakota Ball was buried on the depth chart, tied in. Johnny Dwight, tied in. And that makes up for the fact that with the, the we've talked about this on the show ad nauseum that with the with the the advent of spread offenses in high school football they don't really develop inline blocking tight ends. Well, Nick Saban still found a way to try to do it. He just takes jumbo guys and maybe defensive linemen and makes them into tight ends. He does, and Kirk is back with us now. We're going to turn the talk over to the defensive side of the ball. We all know what a great front seven Alabama has, but. 
Kirk, as I posted today on our site, BamaMag.com, uh, it, it is to me very unique that the top six guys and all six men that are starters in the dime and all five men in the nickel and all four in the base, Kirk, are former cornerbacks. Uh, in this day and time of the spread offense, to me, Kirk, that's huge. I think it's a great move. And, uh, and Nick Saban talked about that a little bit tonight, about uh, uh, the way the game has changed where the safeties and his safeties, of course, have always been, you know, kind of oversized guys who who could come up and thump you. And uh, <clears throat> he said they've got now to be good cover guys. And that doesn't mean he doesn't still want a Landon Collins or a Mark Barron. He does. He wants those kinds of guys. But they've got to be able to cover. And as you pointed out, uh, there are a bunch of guys back there in the safety positions who came here to be cornerbacks. So that should, uh, you know, you just think, automatically that makes them maybe better cover guys. And, of course, what I like about a safety who's in coverage is uh, unlike those cornerbacks who have to play the eyes of the receiver, the safeties have a little bit better opportunity to play the eyes of the quarterback. And uh, they don't get caught kind of with their back uh, turned, you know, and everybody gripes about that. But, you know, if a cornerback turns around too early, then he's definitely going to be beat. So, uh it's a tough position to play, and, and I think having those guys who are cover guys but who also have the advantage of being able to have their eyes on the quarterback maybe a little bit longer, uh, that could be a very, very good uh, very good position uh, adjustment uh, by Nick Saban. And, Kirk, uh, you know, he, he, Kerry was asking about the secondary, but I'm also very excited when you look at the depth being built at outside linebacker, uh, when you look at the three deep at Sam, uh, when you've got uh, the, the senior in Dylan Lee who will play inside and out, but then you have Rashawn Evans who, of course, can walk, unlike people had him out for the season uh, this weekend. But once again, that was a little bit presumptuous. But And then Christian Miller, who I think is going to be a really good situational player. And then at Jack, you've got Denzel Duvall, who's a, who's a steady guy. Not really a playmaker, but steady. Ryan Anderson, who got better and better, I thought, last year. And then the guy that everyone wants to see, now 260 pounds, Tim Williams. I still think as a situational player on third down, he could lead this team in sacks. But I think they've got six really talented guys, and now you want to see what Tosh Lupoy can get out of them. And, and then I think they're developing depth at inside linebacker, too. You know, the linebackers, besides Reggie Ragland, haven't been talked about a lot, but I think this group – and with the improvement of the secondary, we all knew how good the defensive line had a chance to be and I think will be. But uh, the, what, the, what will tell the tale for this defense is the back seven and eight and nine. And uh, with the talent you're seeing, even though a lot of it's young, very, very exciting. And I think this defense has a chance to be the best in 2011. I agree. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm big on coaching. And I think that Alabama traded two recruiters for two coaches on the defense. And I think uh, uh, we we talked about the safeties, and I think, you know, Mel Tucker, he's been in the NFL for a long time. He knows foot, you, whatever else. You may, you may not even like to watch pro football, but whatever else you think, they know the game up there. That's all they do. Uh, they don't recruit. You know, it's strictly football. And I think he brought a lot. Also, I think Tosh Lapoy, uh is a – when we – we were lucky enough to break the story just because of a friend of mine in Seattle 
who knew that Tosh Lapoy was coming to Alabama a couple of years ago, uh, he could not have been spoken more highly of Tosh Lapoy as a coach on the field and as a recruiter, but particularly as a, an inspirational coach, an innovative coach, uh, a hard-nosed technique guy. And I think that uh, I think all of those things put together, and I think it's good to have Kirby Smart back with the middle linebackers. I think that's a good place for the defensive coordinator to be. So, all in all, I think we're getting much better coaching. And you, you talked about Tim Williams, and uh, you know I can't help but always remember the story from our uh, all of our friend uh, and, a, and a former great player at Alabama West Neighbors uh, talking to. Uh, uh, one of our coaches one time about uh, what Tim Williams was going to have to do to to get in the lineup more, and 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 the coach said, well, he he doesn't really know all the playbook yet, and Wes said, well, apparently he knows the part about sacking the quarterback. <laughs> so I'm I'm with you. I think he might be the guy that is uh, in as you say in situations, uh, and and I think Alabama's going to have a lot of situations this year with that defense where the other team's going to be throwing the football. That uh, that he might have a big big year, Kirk. I have to ask you since uh, y'all finally got to talk to Adam Griffith this week, and he kind of intimated that he was still not 100% regarding his back situation. Although obviously better than he was last year, but based on what you've seen, heard, and, and been told, uh, uh, do you feel any better about the place kicking situation, particularly field goals this year, Kirk? I'm kind of like you. I was a little, uh, I was a little taken aback by his, uh, by his demeanor. Uh, you know, he said that he felt better, but you just kind of had that feeling that maybe it wasn't completely uh, what he wanted it to be. And as Nick Saban said too uh, earlier in the week, he said, you know, if you've had a back problem, you know, you just really never get over it. Well. Uh, I'm not sure that's exactly true, but I, I, I'm not uh, uh, fortunately, knock on wood, I've never really had a terrible back problem, so maybe I don't know. But uh, I, I was a little bit, uh, a little bit wary of a few things he said, but he did. I did. I did like what he said. He said he thinks he ought to make everything from 45 yards in, and he thinks from. Uh, 50 to 55, he 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 expects to make field goals. So uh, he sounded confident, and uh, I, I hope he is. He said he thought his kickoffs were better this year. Now you've got to remember, last year he started the season with a bang uh, in the West Virginia game, four field goals, three of them over 40 yards. No Alabama players ever kicked three field goals over 40 yards in a game before. So so he's got it in him. Uh, and let's just hope that uh, that he's over the physical. And as we've all known uh, in football, it's not just the physical. When you've been hurt, when you've uh, had something wrong with you, and you, you get over it, you've still got to work through it mentally. So um, place kickers are funny anyway about that. So uh, I'm not sure that I, I know how to, how to judge a place kicker's psyche but uh, or anybody else's, but particularly a place kicker's. So, kind of, a, I think that's something we'll be watching for. And Kirk, my last question for you tonight, and we thank you for joining us. Is 
you know, I, I personally think Alabama's going to cover this spread, but I think it's going to be a, a four-quarter fist fight. I was on a podcast, Buck Around, uh, with Rich Branch and, and, and Max Bruski, uh, two Wisconsin guys, two very, very knowledgeable people. And they wanted me mostly to talk about Alabama's defense. And I think when, they, when I got done, they didn't think they were going to make a first down. But I was just going by personnel and what I thought the group could really accomplish, though – I don't. I think inevitably because there is some inexperience there that Wisconsin's a well-coached team and they'll move the ball some. But I think they're going to have a very hard time scoring touchdowns. I don't have them scoring a touchdown. I pick the game twenty-seven to twelve, kind of, uh, you know, kind of like the two thousand nine opener against Virginia Tech. But what are your thoughts on the matchup? I think that with the, with the physicality that Wisconsin plays, I know it kind of plays into Alabama's hands, but I still think they're going to be a difficult matchup from the standpoint. I do think Paul Chris will, will get Joel Stave playing better football. And I, and I think really uh, the, the physicality could give Alabama – Alabama is going to have to, uh, especially with the inexperienced quarterback, they're going to have to get used to it because I think they're going to load the box up and challenge Alabama's inexperienced receivers, of course. And, again, they have an experienced secondary as well. But what are your thoughts on the Wisconsin matchup? I think they're a pretty good football team. Oh, I think they are too. And this is uh, there's uh, this is interesting. You picked it 27-12. I was on the uh, Scout.com Wisconsin site the other day, and they asked me to pick the score, and uh, and I said 27-13. So we're thinking along the same lines. Not a real high-scoring game. Alabama probably in control, uh, but not maybe not a blowout. On the other hand, I, you know, in the back of my mind. I think that if we get Wisconsin in a in a hole, and by we I mean Alabama, and I'm an Alabama guy, uh, get them in a hole, and things are liable to start to to uh, get like the Michigan game. Now uh, I know that we took Michigan from the very from the get go, but uh, it, it it still uh, took a couple. It took them getting a little bit desperate before we really started to to turn that into a kind of a semi-route, 41-14, I think it was. So I think it could come out that way where Alabama, you know, gets up and then uh, takes advantage of some some situations and, and maybe puts it away. But I think Alabama's going to be in control of the game. I think that uh, as much as Wisconsin has that big offensive line, and would like to, you know, like to pound it. That's what they like to do. That's the mindset that Barry Alvarez has uh, made the template there. Uh, and Paul Christ is a Barry Alvarez man. Uh, I think that that's what they'll want to do, and I think that's going to be very, very difficult to do against Alabama. I'm so glad that Drew brought that up about how he had those guys thinking they weren't going to make a – first down because I have a story to share with you Kurt before I ask you my last question uh, I spoke last week to the uh, Alabama alumni group in Atlanta at their, their uh, Wednesday munch and, and uh, you know I, I was very positive about everything uh, and so when it's over and I know you know Mike Dean Kirk uh, Mike came up to me and said so do you also think we could beat the Seattle Seahawks and I said no <laughs> I just think Alabama's got a great defense da 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 so I knew you'd appreciate that. But my last question for you, okay. Kurt, and, and maybe it should be the Huntsville guy asking this question, but I'll, I'll throw it out myself. Uh, when this season is said and done, do you think it is very possible that Reggie Ragland will be mentioned with all the other great Alabama linebackers that you and I have seen in the last 30 or 40 years? 
Absolutely. I was. Uh, so we've got a story on our website today where I mentioned that I was reading an article a few weeks ago about the best linebackers in the nation, and they didn't. You know, I looked for Reggie on the first team. He wasn't there. He wasn't on the second team. Wasn't on the third team. Wasn't on honorable mention. So I, I picked up the phone and called the guy who's a friend of mine and uh, somebody I really respect. I said. I'm not complaining. I'm just curious. Do you know something I don't know? Because I think Reggie Ragland's one of the best linebackers I've ever seen. He said, man, did we blow that. He said, you know, that's just one of those things that you're going to put Reggie Ragland in there, and and somehow he just got got left out. Uh, And he agreed with me that he's one of the best linebackers in the country. I think he is. I think he'll have a – I think, uh, you know, the main thing about middle linebackers making tackles is – uh, they can't make them if the guys up front make them all, and that might be that might be his undoing. But of course, those uh, guys up front are doing their job. Uh, they're making it easy for Reggie to make tackles. Well, Clark, I want to thank you as always for joining us. Uh, we want to plan on having you on at least once a month throughout the season, and uh, we're going to let you go. But uh, thanks for being with us. And My have, pleasure. Have a good night. Okay, you, see you guys. Appreciate it. All right, yes, sir. All right, Kirk, that's uh, Kirk McNair, the uh, publisher of BannelMag.com, a subsidiary of Scout.com. Another great segment with Kirk, and uh, nobody knows more about the history of uh, of Alabama football than Kirk, even Cecil Hurt. But uh, anyway, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, toss it to our one and only uh, actual break, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I I love the colorful and the way the sunlight plays upon her head I hear the sound of a On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air I'm picking up
Welcome back to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. It's five after the hour, wherever you are. If you're in the central time zone, it's 9.05, Eastern 10.05, da 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 Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, I'm uh, going to go a little bit more into the depth chart now. Uh, one thing that I was uh, a little bit surprised at, um, somebody just swallowed their microphone. One thing I was a little bit surprised at, uh, because I've been told all along that uh, Keith Holcomb was being groomed as a Mike, but when the depth chart came out, the starting Mike was Reggie Ragland, as we thought, but his backup is listed as Sean Dion Hamilton, and the starting Will is Ruben Foster, as we thought but his backup is listed as Keith Holcomb. And I know all those guys know all those positions, Drew, but I was always told that, that Keith was being groomed to be the Mike next year. Yeah, sorry, I just got back on with you. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I not surprised because Keith is a little bit better a space player than Sean Dion. And I will say this, Sean Dion may be the smartest kid on the team. And I think he already knows the defense inside and out. He's just behind an all-time great player. And he will take over at Mike next year. But I do think that's part of it. I think it's Sean Dion's mental game. And Holcomb's a little more athletic, and I think that's why he's playing the wheel right now. One of the questions I got last week, Drew, when I was doing my speaking engagement in Atlanta was, uh, what the heck happened to, to Tony Brown? And Here's a guy that we all thought would be starting, and he's not even starting in the dime or the nickel. He's a, He is a backup at corner. Uh any any ideas on what propitiated that fall from Grace? Not keeping your mouth shut and uh, kind of being hot headed. That'll do it. And uh, but also, let's also be frank here. The young man in front of him is one of the best high school corners I've ever seen, and had to get bigger. He gained about twenty pounds. He was uh, he missed some of fall camp with a pulled quad slash groin. And now that he's healthy, we saw the spring that he had. You know, Tony Brown's got to keep grinding. I still think he's a very talented player, but so is Marlon Humphrey. And Cyrus Jones has the complete trust of the coaches. And I just think it's a, it's a, it, it really begs to the job of recruiting in the last two years Alabama's done. I think their cornerback plays fixing to go through the roof. But it's no disrespect to Tony Brown, who I still think is an NFL player in the future. But he's behind another very, very talented player right now. And, again, needs to do the little things right and play football. Yeah. And another thing, you're right about Marlon Humphrey. That, you know, I covered him three years in high school, and I've never, ever, ever seen a better high school corner than him. He was as good in the 10th grade as some people are their freshman year in college. But he, I'm glad he's finally getting the chance to show it. I'm glad he's able to put on the good weight and the good strength. And I think people are going to be very happy with what they see from Marlon. That being said, uh, the star position, who we all thought would be Maurice Smith, uh, is actually going to be a true freshman who wasn't even in spring training, Minka Fitzpatrick. Now, normally, Drew, Nick Saban doesn't teach true freshmen, particularly those that don't go through spring, anything but the true corner position. But this guy has picked up the defense so great that he is now a starter in the nickel and the dime. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick has truly turned some heads. He really has, Gary. Sorry, I had to take my off mute there for a second, but he really has. And I think he's a, what to be blunt, I think he's a freak of nature. And to do what he's done in this short period of time since late May and not enroll early is and be a first-team guy and take some reps at that first-team left corner and go the first scrimmage 
uh, in mid-August and, and have two interceptions, three pass breakups, and no pass completions to your side, and then to do what he did with a scoop and score off the of Damian Harris fumble, and do, he started in the in the second scrimmage at star. He's pushed Maury Smith to the first dime back, and with and, and and right now, even though he's the third safety theoretically, Ronnie Harrison uh, is is uh, on the field in the dime and in the nickel, but not every down or not getting as many reps as once thought, though I still think he's going to play a heavy role. But it's just, you know, uh, Ronnie Harrison's in your top four safeties, but it's just been amazing to see the impact Minka's had. And uh, the most telling comment was by Maurice Smith when he said, he's not like any freshman I've ever seen because he's unemotional. As soon as, you know, the play's over, whether he gave up a catch or whether he made a play, if he did make a mistake, he doesn't let it let it bother him, and he's on to the next play. And I just think he's a special guy, and thank the good Lord he didn't fall for the snake oil salesman known as Jimbo Fisher. No, oh, yes, definitely. Um, well, you know, the, the defensive coordinator told him he had to start from scratch to camp. That was one of the great interviews we ever had here on Bounds was Ronnie Harrison. But uh, speaking of Ronnie, Drew, uh, there are some versions. Now, you know <laughs> – I'm glad you said what you said about him being on the field because there are some versions of the dime where Ronnie is on the field, but he's on the field kind of lined up as a linebacker and Reggie Ragland pinning his ears back as a rabbit rusher. So Ronnie does have a role in this defense. Yes, he does. He's going to play quite a bit. I mean, especially in the, in the nickel and the dime, he has the ability to play the money spot. He still, I think, will be a guy they slide down into the box to be physical against the run, but he's athletic enough to cover. Uh, he's very, very smart, and also thank the good Lord that Charles Kelly pissed him off, and he didn't go to Florida State and left Tallahassee, Florida, in their backyard. Are you kidding me? But great job by Nick Saban and the staff. I think he's uh, he and Minka Fitzpatrick have you know exceptional football IQs. Um, the thing with uh, with Ronnie is he hasn't hit that wall. He didn't hit it in the spring. He hasn't hit it in the fall. He's going to be a playmaker. He's going to be a starter next year in the base. I don't think there's any doubt he'll be by Eddie Jackson, in my opinion. But I just really think that he, he's a special player. And, uh, you know, and, and if Maurice Smith is ahead of him right now, it, it shows the progress Maurice has made. And, you know, just six short months ago, there's a lot of people terrified about the safety play and still worried about the secondary. Honest to goodness, Kerry, by the time the Ole Miss game comes around, Alabama may have one of the better secondaries in the SEC if everyone acclimates themselves quickly. Yeah, and, you know, (laughs) it's so funny to read the different message boards uh, when you have time. You you know what they're worried about now about the safeties? That they're not going to be physical enough because they used to be corners. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I still get the question, who's going to be the enforcer like Landon Collins to make plays down in the box? Well, Ronnie Harrison, I think. I think Maurice, I thought he played physically when he played last year. He just made some stupid mistakes, one being the, the uh, taunting penalty in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, but I think he's always had the talent. Uh, I think Eddie Jackson can be a physical guy. I just think Eddie Jackson, West Neighbors said it on the drive this week, he needed to get his confidence back. And I think – He's got it back, moving inside to safety. I said it on this show. I said it on my show on 97.7 Zone. I believe as soon as they moved him to safety in the spring, it flicked the switch. And his development at safety 
along with that of Reuben Foster at Will Linebacker. And then, of course, uh, with Tosh LePoy coaching up the outside linebackers and letting the previous uh, guy that Kurt McNair rightly called a recruiter and not a coach because he couldn't coach his way out of a wet paper sack. I think with the increased production, you're going to see it like you did with Sal Sunseri here from 2009 to 2011, and you saw three na- two national championships in three years. But I think uh, and now Sal Sunseri is with the Oakland Raiders. Lance Thompson wouldn't get into an NFL game unless he paid to. But I, I just really think that, uh, that you're going to see – the defense go to the next level and return to the 2011 standard, which right now, along with 1992 and maybe 1979, uh, that is, that are your three uh, greatest defenses in tied history. We mentioned uh, we mentioned Tony Brown briefly, but you know two other guys that, that have had good camps, even though one of them had a hand injury. That uh, there's just so much depth in secondary. You got to figure out that somewhere on special teams, we're going to see both Bradley Sylvie and Anthony Averett, Drew. I think we will situationally. Uh, you know, Sylvie, Bradley, he's had some bad luck. He broke his hand uh, but has not missed any reps. Uh, Tony Brown, shoulder, didn't miss any reps. But you can't with all this young talent. They want to play. Sylvie is a senior. It's his last go-round. He finished the year strong last year against Auburn. Got an interception they robbed him of. So I just think, you know, and Anthony Averitts, Coach Saban, is, 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 uh, you know, has praised him a couple of times. You know, he's a redshirt uh, sophomore uh, from the New Jersey area. I believe – is he a redshirt freshman or sophomore, Kerry? I think he's a redshirt sophomore. But, I'm pretty sure uh, redshirt sophomore. Yeah, he's a redshirt sophomore. He's a track guy, a track athlete, state champion coming out of the city of New Jersey and, or excuse me, the state of New Jersey. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes he got forgotten about because he redshirted. They're, they're, you know, the secondary didn't play well. So some people think, well, you redshirted, you didn't play – you were part of a secondary that struggled. You're not a very good player. But I think he just had to kind of adjust to the speed of the game in the SEC. But he's he's praised Averitt. You know, and Silva's a guy who kind of got, you know, everybody kind of thrown him to the, threw him to the side after Kevin White torched him from West Virginia. But Kevin White was a top-ten pick in the NFL draft. So, and I thought Silva showed a lot of toughness. and should have played more against Ohio State, I felt like, in the Sugar Bowl. But I think you've got quality depth. You've got Bradley Silva and, and uh, Anthony Averitt on your depth chart. And I'm just really excited about the secondary and what Mel Tucker is going to bring to these guys. NFL pedigree, someone that's been a three-time defensive coordinator, and he's going to get all these cats playing with confidence. And if you have a great pass rush, which they should get improved production from the outside linebackers, and then the best defensive line in college football, it's a recipe for a special defense. They just need a quarterback to step up and not get them beat. Well, go ahead and bring on a caller on the uh, Big Head Barbecue Hotline. You can call us, too, if you've got questions for Kerry, Drew, or Thomas. That number is 714-510-3707. Again, write it down. Remember it. Put it in your phone, 714-510-3707, the Big Head Barbecue Hotline on BAMS Radio. Going to go ahead and welcome in a man that uh, scored a touchdown in a high school football game for Fort Dale Academy back in the fall of 1975. And then went 40 on years to, ago. That's right. Went on, went, on, went on to earn a national championship ring in 1979 under Paul Bryant as a student manager at the University of Alabama. Big C. McGuire from Greenville. What's up, buddy? Not much. Looking forward to you coming down Friday, big man. That's right. Live in the studio. C. 
CC Bama and yeah. Big C. All you got to do is go to jockjive.com and watch us live from 7 to 8 Friday morning. But anyway. Yeah, I got a haircut today. Uh, got a haircut today just for that show. Oh, gosh. Hey, I've been so busy doing this. That ain't got time. I'm going to wear my Alabama cap uh, on um, that day. Uh, but anyway, uh what what is what do y'all I mean gonna be like a typical fan? Uh, look like it's gonna be Coker. Do you think it might be uh, Alex uh, Mars or, or even Bateman as the QB starting off Saturday? You mean first series of the game? I would say Jake Coker. Uh, Morris and Bateman are kind of battling for second, from what I hear. Uh, but apparently, that, apparently there's a plan to play two. And we think the two that for sure will play are Coker and Bateman. Uh, we're not sure what role, if any, in this first game Morris will play just yet. Uh, but I'll let Drew get his thoughts to you, too. Well, uh, Big C, I'm going to tell you, I I think it's going to be Jake Coker to start. I think he'll have a short leash. Uh, you know, we've talked about him hitting the ball. You know, we've talked about the being erratic. Uh, if he is erratic, and even if, you know, he plays pretty well, I still think you're going to see Cooper Bateman. Uh, I, there is a chance, uh, you know, Kirk made a good point that he still thinks Alec Morris will get his opportunity. You know, he may very well, but I think that it's going to be interesting to see Jake Coker and Cooper Bateman. And, you know, Kerry made a good point about both of them having different skill sets. Jake Coker kind of being the John Parker Wilson and Cooper Bateman being the Blake Sims type. Uh, but we will see. Uh, I'm anxious to see. I do think if, if they run the kind of offense I think Lane Kiffin wants to run, that Cooper Bateman uh, fits the mold a little bit better. But, you know, Jake does have, you know, a great arm, great size. They're going to give him an opportunity. Uh, I do think both guys are talented. They're going to, It's going to play itself out. I do think by the time Ole Miss comes to town, they're going to want to play mostly one guy. Uh, but we will see. And it's, it's Coach Saban keeps talking about someone, that, you know, winning the team, taking the team. And one of these guys is going to do it. I mean, I hope it happens Saturday. We will see. I hope both of them, you know, play well. But I hope one of them really steps forward. And I think this is a tough game. I think Wisconsin's a very well-coached team. I, I think Paul Christ is a heck of a football coach. I think he's a perfect fit for what they do. He's very familiar. He recruited Joel Stave and was a very good offensive coordinator under Brett Bielema. Uh, Brett Bielema now, of course, at Arkansas. But he, he did a good job with their offenses there. They were really balanced. Uh, he coached Russell Wilson for a year. Uh, Russell had his best year, so I think that they're going to be a good football team. Alabama better come out ready to play uh, because they're going to continue to – they're going to be who they are. They're going to try to run the ball, uh, but I think they're going to try to get the ball to their tight ends. They've got two pretty good receivers, including one, Tanner, Tanner McAvoy, who was the quarterback last year, who's 6'6", so they may try to get him on one of the shorter corners. But I still think Alabama should control the game. Uh, the only way Wisconsin will have a chance in the game is if Alabama is sloppy and turns it over. But if Alabama takes care of the football, I think they're going to beat the spread. I've got 27 to 12. It could be worse than that if Alabama really plays well. But I think I'm anxious also to see how they utilize Kenyon Drake. I'm even, as a hunt, thinking they could go with some wildcat with Kenyon and maybe use some zone read. But we'll see about that. Oh, that's not a bad idea, having him in the, in the wildcat. That would work pretty good, I believe. Never found a day. Well, I, I, I would show. I would not show that to Ole Miss, but we'll see what they 
what they decide to do. Uh, as far as picking scores, I'm, I'm going 31 to 13, and we're all pretty much on the same page. I'm not sure what, where Thomas is leaning. I'm sure he'll let us know before the show's over. But I'm going 31-13, Bama. I personally would not show Ole Miss, Kenyon, and the Wildcat. I'd let them be the first to see that. But they may do it. Uh, hopefully they won't need to, but they may do it just for the heck up. They may do it to make Ole Miss have to game plan for something else. Also, there's that possibility. Uh, but it, it's going to be a fun game. But I think by the time we get to the middle of the fourth quarter, Big C, I think it will be decided, and I think Alabama will get, to get a few backups in the game by, say, the last six, seven minutes of the game. Uh, I noticed here, I'm looking at What's this? Are they going to try to play Cyrus Jones some on offense this year? That's what the question is I'm looking at right now. Yeah, yeah situationally, Big C, I think they could they could use him a little bit, though. I, this is another hunch of mine, but Nick Saban letting that, that cat out of the bag at a press conference, I think he's trying to just get Paul Christ and Dave Aranga, the, the defensive coordinator uh, at Wisconsin, they're, they're just giving him something else to think about and, and have mm-hmm. a game plan for because, you know, to me they would have wanted to just spring that on them. Like all of a sudden, hey, uh, we haven't even practiced against this. What's five doing in the game on offense? But instead mm-hmm. they throw it out there and, uh, and, and, and let people know that could happen. So it just gives them something else to game plan for. Uh, but, the, you know, I still think the game plan is going to center around Derrick Henry getting 20 to 25 touches, Kenyon Drake getting double-digit touches, Damian Harris uh, being a playmaker. And I'm anxious to see which receivers step forward. Richard, Will it be Richard Mullaney? Will it be Ardarius Stewart? Could Robert Foster get his head out of his rectum and play consistent football and live up to his, you know, his talent? Or is he going to be cursed out by the coaches and benched? because he won't do the little things right. I want to see what he does. I want to see how he reacts when the lights are on, because I think he has big-time talent, and it's time. It's his third year in the program. If he's going to be a guy that moves on to the NFL and becomes a factor at Alabama, he has to do it this year, because Calvin Ridley is only going to get better. Dalen Charlotte is only going to get better, and Alabama is on the precipice of bringing in three to four stud receivers next year. So, Mr. Foster better, you know, get get his get his mind right and play good football. That's sad to hear about somebody that's really talented where like you said, can't get their head out of their rear end for whatever reason. But uh what's the deal on here I'm reading, you know, here now that Tam Sims is um out practicing there, is he gonna be able to come back this soon or what do y'all know on that? I'll well, just say what I'm sorry, He's been medically cleared. Yeah, so I'm sorry, Kerry. I was going to let Kerry have most of this, but all I was going to say, Big C, is this is a miracle, and just let Kerry go. Well, when he got hurt, people were, were saying he's going to be out for the year, and then some people were saying, no, nah, he may come back in the middle of the season, maybe after the Georgia game. And then all of a sudden he's out there running around with a brace on, and now we're being told by Saban that he's medically cleared to play in the ball game Saturday. Now, that being said, he missed a lot of time. And he was out there getting mental reps and watching film and all that kind of stuff. But my thing, Big C, is that they'll bring him along slowly. To answer your question, will he play this year? Yes. He's not going to take a medical red shirt now he's been cleared to play. Uh, but it may be kind of a, a slow deal where you may see him some like – I really don't think he'll play this game. But I think you might see him get a, a little bit of an appearance to get his feet wet and his adrenaline going 
against Middle Tennessee, the first home game. And then when the rubber meets the road and the boys from Oxford come to town game three, I think you'll see plenty of Cam Sims that night as much as he needs to play uh, because he knows the offense. He's very talented. He's very tall. Uh, but, yes, he's been medically cleared to play, and he is going to be part of the rotation, I'm going to say, by the Ole Miss game, Big C. What about, you think Scarborough will be able to play this year, or what do y'all know on him? Yeah, uh, you know, Big C, he'll play by Georgia. He, he probably would have been ready by Ole Miss. And what's the irony of that? But anyway, because he's the reason they're the reason he's suspended for obvious reasons. But anyway, uh, yes, I do think that you know Bo will be back uh, by Georgia. He's too talented, Big C. Uh, he, he's a playmaker. I, th- I think obviously you know Kenyon's going to be a, a versatile, all-purpose guy in three phases of the game as a receiver, runner, and kick returner. Uh, Derrick Henry will be your, your featured back. Damian Harris and then Bo Scarborough will be very important in second halves of the game. And let's not forget, Bo is also a very fine receiver with very good hands and has had a very nice recovery from his second knee surgery. But he, I, from what I understand, he's been taking some contact in practice uh, the last you know week or so to get himself ready. But I do think uh, he will be unleashed on the dogs. I don't know how much he will play in that game. But again, I think he will be back uh, by uh, October the 3rd, no doubt. He is healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, they must just have a heck of a training staff up there. Some are good surgeons or a combination of the Some of these people sound like they're going to be really out, and then all of a sudden they're going to be back a lot quicker than uh, expected. Well, the way they rehab now is a little bit different than when you were a manager, Big C. Oh, yeah, I know a lot has changed um you know, think about it. If they, you know, like when Joe Namath got it, if they had arthroscopic surgery back then in 64, he might not have gone through all the crap he went through. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just speculating that. I mean, you know, back then, they just cut your knee open. I mean, now they don't have to do all that like they used to. But um, uh, I'm trying to think, um, see what else. Um, now the offensive line. What's uh, uh, what do y'all know? What else y'all know about it? Other than they feel pretty confident it's going to be a, a pretty good line this year. Well, Big C, I think that right now that they really like the first, you know, seven guys, and I think the first five are obviously Ryan Kelly at center, uh, Rosh Piercebacher, redshirt freshman at left guard, uh, redshirt junior uh, Alphonse Shank Taylor at right guard. Uh, right tackle, senior Dom Jackson, uh, left tackle, sophomore Cameron Robinson, irreplaceable. And then I think, and really you could say eight guys, because I think they like J.C. Hassenauer, but I'm like Kerry. If Ryan Kelly were to have to move to guard to, for, for an injury or were out of the lineup because he's had some knee issues with sprained knees, it would probably be Bradley Bozeman. But Bradley Bozeman can play both guard spots and center. He's really your sixth guy. Your seventh guy is the swing tackle, Brandon Green, who subbed for Dom Jackson in the second scrimmage and did a good job. And then, of course, as I said, J.C. Hassenauer is another one that seems to be developing nicely. I think, you know, they've also got five guys from the 2015 class in the two deep. I think most of them will redshirt still, unless there's a lot of injuries. But some just a lot of talent you're starting to see on the Alabama offensive line. 
They've gotten progressively better. Mario Cristobal's taken some criticism, which I think is unwarranted. You know, he uh, basically two years ago when he came in, Jeff Stoutland's a very good teacher and coach, but is a crap recruiter and evaluator. He had to go out and recruit and, and restock the uh, the shelves that Joe Pendry had stocked for Stoutland. Stoutland's done a nice job coaching in the NFL. You know, he needs to stay there because I don't really think recruiting is his game. But I think Mario is one of the best coaches on the staff, and when he brings in this next recruiting class, which could be the have the greatest offensive tackle haul in one class ever, and by the way, Greg Little will be at the game Saturday watching the Tide, then Alabama's offensive line is going to be the depth and the competition is going to be something to see in the spring of 2016. Now, that guy named Little, is he the one that committed to Texas and dropped the commitment or decommitted from them? Is that, am I right on that, or, is that, or did he go somewhere else? Somewhere to else? A&M. He was committed to okay, A&M, yeah. and he's now uncommitted, and he's leaning to Alabama, and Ole Miss is making a run at him, but Alabama feels real good. Uh, we're going to have to let you go because we've got another guest on hold, but I will be seeing you Friday morning. Uh, that's right. 7 to 8 Central, and y'all can uh, check that out at jockjob.com. Uh, I will be joining Big C live in his studio for a full hour in Greenville, Alabama. Uh, y'all check that out. Uh, thanks for joining us, Big C, and I'll see you Friday. Uh, you, now, let's go ahead and bring on uh, our next guest, uh, a man who's, uh, whose job description changed. Uh, he got bumped up, and he now gets to compete with Paul Feinbaum uh, starting at 2 o'clock on Central on uh, 99.1 in Tuscaloosa. Uh, a good friend of BAM's radio, a guy we will continue to have on on a regular basis, and also a good friend of Drew's, uh, Ryan Fowler. What's going on, brother? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. And let me just apologize before we get started. Uh, this old boy is just trying to get accustomed to this four hours and Doing a lot of radio interviews. Uh, a lot of people want to talk about the Crimson Tide and tennis. So you guys just be patient with me because my boys, uh, I just left church and I was asked, uh, let's see, I think it was eight times who was going to be the quarterback at Alabama. So even the preacher called me up uh, on, the, on the stage there right before the service. He pulled me up to the side and he goes, hey, who's the quarterback at Alabama? So uh, if I had a nickel for every time I'd have been asked that question, I'd be a rich man. Well, tell us the answer. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't take a poker. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, I figured you guys would ask me that, but uh, no, I, I think it's Jacob Coker. I think he's, I think he's won the job. I think it's Cooper Bateman is close, and they'll use him. I think there'll be some formations there, but uh, all the information that I'm getting, one and two throughout this week in practice, it's been Jacob Coker. It's been that way for, I guess this is now the second week, and so. Uh, he wasn't my horse, but I guess he will be now. Well, you know, it's interesting, Ryan. I, I know you've been on top of the situation at Tide 991, the, the longest-running uh, sports talk radio show in the City of Champions on WDGM, the game. And, uh, and we all, I think, weren't on the Coker wagon. Well, Kerry said he would take the first nap. I, I was uh, part of the Blake Barnett train, uh, but he's not ready yet. But I'm intrigued by Bateman and his skill set. And, you know, we talked to Kirk McNair earlier in the program, and we and I asked him a question about, you know, kind of giving up on Bateman too soon. And it's been even really a, a stunning rise in the last month because he looked so bad at the August the 9th practice, we have to be frank. Uh, but he, he did look good August the 22nd, and obviously has received a lot of praise from Coach Saban on his improvement as a passer. But 
just I, I guess do you do you uh, think this uh, this battle will, will go until the Ole Miss game, and then they will find out who the guy is? Well, let me just say this, and let's just say let's paint a scenario where and and shuts down the door. In other words, he slams the door on Wisconsin. He puts a lot of passing yards up and it looks very good and sort of a gamer. You know, when the lights come on, he decides that he's going to play to a high level. I think he can close that door. I think he's capable of that. But if he leaves that door cracked and, you know, the offense sort of sputters down the field a little bit or doesn't pick up or he makes some mistakes, then I think Cooper Bateman can slot in there. But I think Jacob Coker, can, he can slam that door if he'd like. He had the opportunity last fall to do that. He didn't do it. He, he had the opportunity in the spring. He didn't do that. Uh, when we started fall camp here about four weeks ago, he had the opportunity to do that, and he didn't do it. So maybe it's a Wisconsin game that he just grabs the door and slams it. But let, let me talk a little bit about Jacob Coker because I've noticed a little swagger from him, uh, and I like that. Jacob is a very humble individual. I know a lot of people that knows him. Uh, you know, sometimes you've got to be a little arrogant to be the quarterback in Alabama. Joe Namath once told me on my show that you never understand that position until you're in that position. That is, you cannot even explain the pressure. But sometimes you got to throw that humbleness out there. You want to be a team player, and I think he is. The players, according to what I've talked to, uh, they, they love him. As far as he's, he's really, if there is such a thing, he's too humble. He's too quiet of a guy. Sometimes you've got to be able to, that guy to stand up and yell and scream. I've noticed that swagger back at Jacob Coker this week and last week. Ryan, Very, just to let you know, uh, just let you know, Ryan, whenever your voice gets to where it's getting too taxed, uh, and you decide that you're ready for a partner in studio, I will make myself available. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I, well, I, I, you and, I can make that happen for you. You and Jim from Tuscaloosa have, uh, have volunteered to uh, do that, and I, if I don't feel any yeah. better, I'm going to be giving you guys a call. Well, one of well, us is actually qualified to do it. Well, uh, I, I, and I will say I've had fun. No. Okay, yeah. I, I I'm, I'm sorry, Carrie. My bad. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. No, no, no. But not, you know, and hey, and I'll say this: I've had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, when Ryan was absent, uh, I, I, I sat in with Martin Houston a couple of times, and Martin's a very knowledgeable guy. Enjoyed being a part of the game. I have also uh, hosted that show, and a lot of great calls, a lot of great interaction. Very passionate uh, uh, fans, as you would know, uh, the, about Alabama football, and I know they're all anxious to see the team play, uh, but. Ryan, I'd like to know your thoughts too. I know you, uh, you you've uh, you've hinted about the offense and the and the and the uh, and, and being excited about the direction it's going in. I think all of us realize that uh, it's going to be a heavy run-based scheme, especially early, uh, because and really I think throughout the season because of the way this team is built and they want to play to their defense. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, you know, where you think you can go? Because everyone believes this defense can be special. But what does this offense have to do in your mind uh, for this team to have a chance to, uh, to you know, have to win the SEC, which would, would put them in the playoff? Well, let's talk about the offense for a couple of minutes. And I'll put this disclaimer out there when – 
I look at this team. I don't know if we'll know something against Wisconsin uh, because I think Alabama's going to try to pound the football and handoff, handoff, handoff. So I don't know if we'll know the true identity of this offensive side. I think we'll be able to see that mean streak that I think this Alabama defense is going to have. But at at the end of the day, I don't – unless this game is closer than what I think it's going to be, I don't think we'll really – I don't think Lane Kiffin's going to show all the cards. Uh, so – but what I've been told for some people that I've spoken to, it's going to be an up-tempo brand. You know, Nick Saban sold us at – SEC media days about the hurry up up tempo that was affected his defense. I think he's going right back to it, but he's going to do it from a little bit different tactic. He's going to pound the football and run it between the tackles using a little bit of that fast formation. And I, I sort of like it. It's that Nick Saban type, as we've talked about. He's just going to go, you know, if he can't beat them, might as well join them. You know, if he can't get a rule change where it's actually fair on those offensive linemen, he says, okay, hey, I'm going to give you a dose of your own medicine. It's perfect Nick Saban. It's a guy that I've covered since 2007 when he got off the plane. Perfect Nick Saban. Ryan, I wanted to ask you, since uh, you've always been such a vocal, opinionated guy, uh, were you at least a little taken aback by the the demeanor and and the comments about not being 100% that came out this week from Adam Griffith? Uh. What, and as far as the health of, of of Adam, as far as saying that his back is not really all the way back yet, and uh, even though he feels better than he did last year, da 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 da, it was almost like you know plugging in an excuse before the game starts. Well, I tell you, there's a couple of things that really makes me nervous, and I think that's one of them. Uh, as far as you know, the health of him, guys. That's one of the areas that we haven't talked about a lot. But when you look at this offense, it's going to be very, very important. And when I say very, very important, I don't think Alabama's going to beat teams by these two and three touchdowns that Alabama fans are accustomed to seeing. I think Adam's going to be very important. I hope they can find a way to get him healthy. Uh, I know he's not been as great in practice, according to the people that I've spoken to. But Alabama needs him to be a a reliable kicker. And if not, maybe you have to go to a backup. Maybe you got to find a way to use to get somebody ready. And I'm sure Nick Saban's doing that, but guys, I'm going to, I'm going to just, just speak it the truth. I think he's still having trouble mentally. It's where I go back to, because you're talking about one kick that would put him – and he may have some physical problems too with trying to recover from the injury. But I also go back, guys, that one kick, he could have wrote his name down in the history books. And was it fair? No, I mean, that was a big kick. That was 57 yards. But when you look, you know, it's one of those things that he could have put his name down in the Alabama record book, especially if they would have went on and won the national title another SEC title, I still think he's got lingering effects from that 2013 kick. And I just think, you know, you see closers do it in World Series games. Was it was it Brad Lidge a few years ago that was in a National League Series where he gave up a big home run? And am, am I right about that? Or was it, it, was, it was a closer 
Now, I know it was Houston. With me, with me it's Mark Rollins in 1996 not throwing the fastball. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you're, you're going back a, a few years. I'm just going back maybe like seven or eight uh, years. But, um, you know, some of those guys just never recover. I wonder if Adam is one of those guys. Got all the talent in the world, but kickers are well, so and, mental. Well, and we we did see Lee Tiffin overcome it. But, you know, and I think Scott Cochran, from what I hear, had a lot to do with that. He challenged him mentally. And Lee came from a good stock. Of course, his dad, man, was one of the best in tide history. You know, Griffith has a lot of talent. He needs to get off to a quick start. Uh, but I, I will say he did kick off well in the scrimmages. But I'm very interested uh, to see the first unit as far as kickoffs, Ryan, because I think kickoff return could be a weapon. Kenyon Drake, we all know how explosive he is. And with his partner being Ardarius Stewart, it's going to be tougher to kick away from both of them because Ardarius is very explosive. I think there could be some hidden yards in the game against Wisconsin. Uh, I'm, but I'm also uh, excited to see, you know, we, when we're talking about the offense, but this is an inexperienced wide receiver group. Uh, and Kenyon will be with those guys a lot. But I'm really excited to see which ones step up, uh, you know, in the game. And I also want to get your thoughts because you read a lot and, and you're good at reading the tea leaves with Nick Saban. To me, him letting the cat out of the bag about Cyrus Jones today in the press conference, I'm not so sure we'll see Cyrus a lot on offense. I think he was trying to give uh, the Wisconsin coaching staff something else to game plan for. Well, no, they, they've worked him quite a bit at the offensive side of the football, and it goes oh, back. Oh. oh, yeah, I know. So they, Yeah, but I'm just saying as far as like we're – I don't think we're going to see everything that this offense is going to be capable of, but I think Nick Saban could use it a couple of different ways. He could throw it out there and never use it, or let's just say that they're up by a couple of touchdowns. Maybe he throws a wrinkle out there to get over this to prepare for it. Or if he wants to keep it under the covers, he can just keep it in his back pocket. So I think you look at it from a standpoint of that. Nick Saban is a master at the game of psychology, not only just his players, but making guys spend extra time in prep work, making sure they're familiar with it. You know, he may bring Cooper Bateman in just to run the, you know, the option read uh, to, to see – just to make Ole Miss prepare for it. You're not going to use it against Middle Tennessee State, but you would expect that you would – I think that would be smart because, it, you know, it, with a limit of 20 hours per week, if you can get somebody's 30, 40 minutes breaking down and, and taking a look at it, then that's 30 or 40 minutes. They don't have a chance to prepare for the other side. Well, let me throw a scenario out to you, uh, and I know this is kind of far-fetched, but that's this is how I roll it. Let's say that by the Georgia game and, and even the, a week or so after that, that a healthy, productive Bo Scarborough works himself into the running back rotation. Meanwhile, Damian Harris has shown himself worthy of playing time, and Derrick Henry, uh, as we know what he can do. So now you've got three productive guys there. Do you think there might be a scenario for at least the second half of the year, maybe starting as early as Georgia, that Kenyon Drake continues to get more and more reps at wide receiver and having them run some of the Amari Cooper plays to him? You know, I think that's a great option. I, I And I think the more that they trust Damian Harris, and I think they know what they've got in Damian Harris. You watch Nick Saban on Monday, 
when he was asked the question about Damian Harris, you could see the nonverbals lighting up that he was really pleased with this young man. I think he could be that impact freshman that we thought he could be. But when you go up against this defense every day in practice, even the second team guys, you sort of know what you're made of. And I think Alabama knows what he's made of because he was able to do it on the seven-on-seven drills throughout the summer and and in in a lot of ways embarrassed a lot of the upperclassmen with some of his moves. I mean, and I'm talking about football moves. Like, you know, he's got them. And if he can do that against the nation's best defense, I think he can do it against, you know, the Wisconsin Ole Miss. Ole Miss is going to be tough on defense. He can do it against some of those teams that may not be as solid as Alabama is on defense. I could see that scenario working out. And Kenyon is some of the things that I've been told. I don't think he's going to spend a lot of time between the tackles. I agree, Ryan. I, I think they're going to try to get him out in space. They're going to move him around as a pass receiver. Uh, they're going to probably try to run him wide, maybe with some sweeps and some zone plays to get him outside, maybe even – in a reverse type situation, I wouldn't be surprised if Lane Kiffin schematically uh, tried doing that, lining him up outside. We all know what he did against Florida. I think everyone's anxious to see him because the last they saw of him was against Ole Miss, and he was a heavy point plan. And I think everyone knows if he doesn't get hurt, Alabama doesn't lose that game. You know, Ole Miss had a horseshoe up their butt. Uh, they they won't when September the 19th comes around. Uh, they're going to get their asses blasted. I'll go ahead and just say that. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're if you an Alabama fan and you want to motivate yourself, just go back and watch an old Miss, watch those clowns, watch them during the week of preparation, watch them after the game. Uh, you, you know, it shouldn't be any lack of motivation to play those maggots and bash their heads in uh, when they come for the SEC opener for Alabama. But it's going to be an interesting situation. I think it'll be as it was in 2013. Uh, when, when Bo Popgun said that they were going to score and uh, they were going to score points, and of course they got shut out. Still wish it was 32 to nothing, but it was 25 to nothing. So we will see. But uh, I'm just I'm anxious to see this team play because I'm really anxious to see him on defense, Ryan. Because uh, the secondary, I, we we talked about it on the show before you came on. The more you see of them, the more excited you get because of the young talent, because of Mel Tucker coaching this group. And with the defensive line and how good they should be uh, and, and dictating and controlling tempo, and Alabama, you know, they've had trouble the last couple of years forcing turnovers. If they can set this offense up with a lot of short fields, even with inexperience at the quarterback position, this Alabama football team is going to be hard to handle. No, I think it is. And I think, you know, when we go back to that up-tempo, you go back to this offensive line, you know, guys, I think it's a sell for college football because I don't know where you guys stand. I think I, I know Kerry real well. I know Drew real well. I don't know where you guys stand, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I love Smash Mouth football, and I think it's when you can line up against the guy that's 330 pounds across from you, you can say, you know what, I'm going to drive you back into tomorrow, and there's nothing you can do about it. Guys, that's football to me. And I think this big brand of football, we saw it a little bit from Arkansas, even though they, they didn't do as well. I think they were 2-6 and six in the SEC uh, last year. But if you can do it, and it, it'll sell that more teams will go away from this Mickey Mouse offense, high school 
and, and nothing against high school, but that's what Gus Malzahn is, uh, go away from that style offense to this power attack, I think it may be able to cycle, but it'll all depend on Nick Saban. You know, he gave us college football playoffs because of 2011. Let's see if he can recycle the big brand of football. If it's successful, you'll see a lot more teams go into it in the coming years. I'm excited about this year. I, I wasn't excited until I got a little bit of inside information a couple of weeks ago. It put me on another level. I think Alabama's fixing to kick some butt and take some names. Okay, well, I was going to let Drew uh, thank you, but I'll go ahead and thank you uh, for joining us, Ryan, and congrats on the new gig. Uh, not new gig, but new hours. Uh, you got a lot more responsibility now, and uh, uh, you can let the powers that be know that there is a partner in waiting if you need him. Uh, so okay. There's that. And uh, if you decide you want to keep doing it solo, I'll understand that too, but just, just I'm just letting you know you got options. And, uh, uh, okay. And I wanted to say something too, sorry about that, guys, but – I, I just wanted to say, you know, Ron, I know you've been doing this a long time. You've been in radio full time since the year 2000. Uh, this has been a great opportunity for you. I know it's the, you know, you're getting ready for another four hour marathon to you tomorrow. So you've got to get some rest, but how has the week been for you? Uh, you know, it, you're basically replacing Paul Feinbaum in the state right now in that time slot for the four hours. And I know it's gone well, but uh, has it gone as well, as well or even better than you'd hoped? Well, let me, let me say this and guys, I, I know Paul, uh, he's helped me in my radio career for a long time, and I don't want to discount what he's doing. We just have exactly. different goals, and and we, we have a different plan, you know, than what we want to do. Uh, there's nothing wrong with what Paul is doing. I, I salute him. I've reached out to him. Him and I have spoken, and I, it's nothing. I mean, I'm not going to try to cut his legs out from under by no means, but I think the best fans in the country – Alabama fans and, and, and you know, even some Auburn fans mixed in there as well, they deserve to be talked about. And I think that's what we're going to try to do in Tuscaloosa. You know, we're going to feature people that he doesn't allow on a show anymore. You know, the coach Pat Dye, yeah. coach Gene Stallings and Leroy Jordan and those guys that he just didn't have time for because his show has went to a national level. Uh, you know, the guys like Cecil Hurd, who's a long time, 1982, I don't hear him nowhere near as often on that show. Well, we've got a place for you. We understand where he's going, and, and we, you know, respect what he's able to do. So, in one sense, we're not really competing against him. You know, if you want to listen to the Missouri Athletic Director talk, then that's probably the show for you. If you want to hear Gene Stallings talk about Alabama football, then we're probably the show for you. And that's not trying to be mean. It's just, you know, if you want to talk about that, then we're the show for you. If not, um, hey, uh, a lot of people enjoy that type of rhythm and regional brand. We can certainly respect that. Well, and Ryan, we want to congratulate you for it. And also we want you to let the listeners know uh, that your station is undergoing some changes and you guys are going to have quite a lineup starting next week. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, we're adding Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson uh, to our morning show. And then we're also adding Gary Harris, who's been doing, TV in, in this area for a long time. I mean, he's been in the broadcasting business a long time, even before his days in Tuscaloosa. He was in Mississippi. Uh, he's going to be doing 9-11. Chris Stewart, we know him as a sideline a guy for Alabama sports. He'll be doing uh, a midday show, and then I'll take over at 2 p.m. and roll until 6 p.m., and then 6 to 7 is the best of hours, bonus hour. And um, we're, we're looking forward to 
serving the fans of the Crimson Tide. It's the best in the business as far as the fans, and we're going to try to see if we can match them with good local talk radio here in Tuscaloosa. Well, we we congratulate you, Ryan, and uh, on the accomplishment. It's something you've worked for, and we we thank you for being a contributor to BAMS Radio. We look forward to having you on each month, and uh, thanks for coming on with us tonight. Get some rest and be back at it tomorrow, brother. Hey, thank you, guys. Always an honor to talk with you guys. I appreciate uh, you guys helping me out throughout my you know career and greatly appreciate the kind words tonight. You guys have a great evening. Thank you, Ryan. Ryan Fowler from the game in Tuscaloosa. A lot of big, uh, of big things going on at that station, and I think it's all positive. Uh, turning back to uh, Bama football, though, uh, we've been getting some questions. Uh, one from the chat room was something that we would only be guessing at as far as when the quarterback rotation will change during the game. We have no idea. Uh, but – uh, a, a good question came in from uh, Twitter, and that was, what defensive player are you most looking forward to watching this year? I'll start on that one, Drew. For me, uh, it's Marlon Humphrey, simply because I covered him three years at Hoover and, and was a little bit disappointed he redshirted last year, quite frankly. Extremely happy how quick he made a move after his hamstring healed during fall camp. He is a starter in every package they have, opposite Cyrus Jones quite happy for Marlon and his dad, Bobby. But I think Marlon is going to really step up and make some big plays in that secondary this year. Not just passes broken up, but interceptions and even a pick six or two, I think he'll get. He's so dangerous in the open field. So for me, it's Marlon Humphrey. And Drew, I think I know what you're going to say, but I'll go ahead and let you go. Well, I'm going to say two people. And first, I have to say Tim Williams, because I predicted you have 12 sacks. So I'm going to stick with it which would be the most in the Saban era, but I think he has that kind of ability, even as a situational player. And now with someone with a pulse coaching him, I think there's no doubt about it that he can uh, reach levels that he hasn't reached. I think he has a first step unlike anyone on the team. I think he's finally got his head screwed on. He's 260 pounds. And then the other one is Fitzmagic, Micah Fitzpatrick, who you know I, I had on another radio program, very well-spoken young cat. Uh, I think he's had a a seamless transition, an even faster one than uh, Marlon Humphrey. Both of them are elite talent. And I think both those young guys, along with Ronnie Harrison and Tony Brown, you know, if he can control his emotions, will help take Alabama secondary along with Mel Tucker to a level it hasn't been to since 2011 when they had pros all over the field uh, in Daquan Menzi, Drake Kirkpatrick, uh, Mark Barron, the list goes on and on, D. Milliner. But, again, I really think this secondary is going to be something to watch. I'm very anxious, and I really want to see guys like Tim Williams who are actually now being coached by someone in Toxley Floyd who can develop talent, and we saw it all over the NFL draft from the University of Washington. My own, if we're picking two, my own would be Rashawn Evans. For the yeah, very interesting as well. For the very same Williams uh, names reasons that you named Tim Williams, I think – I think if you have a, a, a third and long and you can put uh, Tim Williams on one side and Rashawn Evans on the other uh, and maybe bring in, bring in some heat with Reggie Ragland or Ruben Foster, there's all kinds of things you can do. I feel like that this is going to be a better defense for two reasons. Number one, the secondary personnel and technique and coaching has all improved. Number two, I think there's going to be more pressure on the quarterbacks this year than there was last year forcing quick and bad throws. And for those two reasons, I feel like that the pass defense will be improved. Yes, and, and the pass rush improved some last year, but 
I think they were limited athletically at safety. I think they're going to be a lot more athletic now. Of course, now you're getting, well, are they going to be physical enough? Hell, if they're coached well, you know, if you play good, you have to play physical to be a, a you know, a good defense. I think Eddie Jackson, I think he's, you know, he's at the right position. Bob Baumhauer said it, uh, you know, this week on the drive. He said, you know, he never had played nose until he went to the Miami Dolphins because they were talking about the passing of Bill Arnsbarger, who, of course, was his defensive coordinator with the Dolphins. But, you know, Bob Baumhauer was an all, turned into an all-pro at nose. He found the position he was most comfortable at in the NFL, and he succeeded because he was in the right scheme in the right place at the right time. I think the same thing can be said with Eddie Jackson. You know, he showed flashes of being an elite corner as a freshman, then hit a wall, then got hurt. And uh, and then he was slow coming back, but then you figure out you know safety's where he needs to be. He's long, he's rangy. I think he. I've always thought he liked contact. I think he has ball skills. Geno Smith, the same situation. And uh, what's going to be interesting, Kerry, is you know I've been checking with some sources. We all thought there might be a, a suspension or two or three, maybe even four. It doesn't look like it. And I'm saying this now, but it doesn't look like there's going to be any suspensions. So Alabama may be at uh, full strength against uh, Wisconsin. All right. Well, yeah, I, and, and Wisconsin, quite frankly, has had some injury problems of their own, particularly on the, on the offensive line. line. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, and that's not the place you want to have problems when you're going against America's best front seven. I'm sorry. It's just not. So with that being said, as we get ready to close out the show, why don't we go ahead and all three reiterate our score picks. Thomas really hasn't given his yet. But I'm going 31 to 13, Bama. Uh, I'm going, as I said, we we talked, we told Kirk and I discussed it. Uh, 27 to 50, or excuse me, 27 to 12, a 15 point win covering the spread for Alabama, four field goals. Oh, okay, Thomas. Uh, I've got 27 to 17. Wow, Alabama. Ten point game. Ten point game. Okay. I, I mean. I can give a, a, a small a small scouting report. Wisconsin returns 14 starters, eight on the defensive side of the ball. Alabama is not going to be able to just mash them 24-7. They're just not. I think that's, that's, that's taking a lot away that you shouldn't from the Wisconsin defense. Now, can the Wisconsin offense mash against the Alabama defense? Long story short, I don't think so. But if it gets into a slugfest, I'll take Alabama every time because – Wisconsin is going to play slow enough for the defense to keep fresh bodies. And when Alabama can throw wave upon wave of defensive five stars at you, you're eventually going to wear down. And probably a close game for two and a half to three quarters, but Alabama's just going to crush towards the end. Right. And so we all agree Alabama will win and win by at least 10. Uh, my high school fight song uh, back in the day in Stone Mountain, Georgia, was uh, on Wisconsin, but I do not plan on hearing it more than three to four times this coming Saturday night. feel very good about this opening game. Of course, uh, I, I, I'm not wanting to underestimate Wisconsin because I underestimated Ohio State, and I got uh, I got very, uh, well, I got it handed to me. So uh, they are a, a strong program. They are well coached. I just think when it's all said and done, the team with the five straight consecutive recruiting classes and the best coaching staff in America will have a good enough plan to take them out. And I think by the middle of the fourth quarter, it will no longer be in doubt. But uh, it's been a fun two hours. It's gone by very quickly. I'd like to thank Kirk McNair of BamaMag.com for joining us, as well as Ryan Fowler of uh, The Game in Tuscaloosa and uh, the exciting announcements he was able to let us know about his station. And so uh, on behalf of uh, Thomas Watts, our host from Touchdown Alabama Magazine, on behalf of uh, Drew D. Armand, 
of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. I am your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com and Scout.com, uh, wishing you a very pleasant good evening, good night, and roll tide. You've been listening to BAM's radio, a member of the BAMA Sports Radio family.